gracious. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you got all the advantages. Welcome to the Aggie War Pod, a product of Dave Campbell's Republic of Football Podcast Network. I am your co-host, Mike Craven, senior writer at DCTF. The other voice you'll hear on this podcast is a barbecue-eating machine who won't shy away from a road trip or an off-key rendition of Creed. The former fighting Texas Aggie defensive lineman arrived in College Station as a three-star prospect back in 2013. He now resides in Houston, but his heart never left. Ladies, gentlemen, Reveille, I present the one, the only, Jay Arnold. And it is the most wonderful day of the year, depending on how you feel about it. Uh, I think we may have some different opinions on that regarding signing day, but uh, it's uh, it's definitely a lot to keep up with in this modern day and age. Of course, who knows what may change uh, down the road, given the current state of the transfer portal and whatnot. Uh, but we have a lot to talk about, at least, uh, you know, with the new guys coming in. Obviously, uh, plenty of plenty of transfer portal news, too. So uh, let's get into it. <laughs> I feel awesome. I, I'm happy for every person who is signing a national letter of intent today. Um, yes. I wouldn't wish this day on any other reporter in the history of the world. I remember being at the Austin American Statesman and when there would be a political race or something like a, an election day, all of the political reporters would make this big show about staying late and needing pizza and like being at the office until 2 a.m. And oh my... National Sign Day is worse than anything you could ever possibly imagine uh, on the on the coverage side because it is just Looney Tunes. We'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, A&M's adding guys who still have committed to Florida Gators on their Twitter profile, right? Like it just is, is a whiplash, always moving. You're losing some guys. You're gaining some guys. A lot of misinformation out there. All the hat games, those don't happen as much. But back when I was kind of a recruiting writer, it was a lot of like the hat you know, you didn't know what was going to happen. They'd put on a hat, take off a hat, put on another hat. Um, and so I miss just having it in February. Like, I, I, maybe this is just Cranky Mike talking right now, but with the transfer portal happening this year, next year at this time, like the college football playoffs, like the first day is December 20th. Just with how the calendar is, it would be better, in my opinion, if you just signed in February. I guess you could sign on August 1st if you wanted to as well, and then uh, give you February. Uh, but they got to do something to clear this out of the way because it's a disservice to the high school kids too. early signing. The signing period isn't what it used to be. It's not as fun anymore. No, uh, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on all of that. I mean, it's just, again, uh, there just seems to be way too much going on during this time of year with the portal and, and uh, bowl season and everything going on. Uh, I get why they thought that the early signing period was a good idea, but in hindsight, I mean, I think we just go back to February and, uh, and leave it at that just because there's no need for for all this and i guess the one like the one except like exception to the rule here will be like if the kids are coming in early and then participating in the spring semester but other than that there's there's no reason to to have this early signing period in my mind yeah if you're an early signee you should be able to sign you know we can figure this out right you give them a 30-day period in december if you're an early enrollee to sign um, but yeah, I mean, there's just too, so much going on. It's not fair to these kids, right? Like how, like they're going to commit to all these schools. Tomorrow's going to be portal day for assistant coaches, right? Like there's going to be so much assistant coach movement 
um, tomorrow and, and guys getting announced as an OC here and a linebacker coach there and a DC coach there that just signed 10 kids to the school that they're leaving and locked them into an NIL deal. Um, so it's just, uh, and I, what well, I can't NLI versus NIL too many. It's like the AAC versus the ACC thing with SMU. Can't keep up with it, but, um, yeah, a lot going on. We'll get into the A&M stuff. Y'all did not listen to this podcast to hear me vamp about uh, what I would do uh, to fix early signing period. Maybe you did. We can get into that a little bit later. Uh, but we split this up into four downs. Uh, we're going to start uh, with early signing period stuff. Uh, the A&M class ranks in the top 20 right now. Um, this is fluid. It's 413 on Wednesday. So, you know, half the stuff we talk about may end up not being true. It's going to change the the recruiting ranks and how many guys have signed letters is going to change probably by the time you hear this podcast. But right now the class class ranks 19th on the composite, 17th in the transfer portal, 11 letters of intent signed. Uh, Blake Ivy, the offensive tackle from Clear Springs, the lone top 100 prospect uh, in there. I guess Solomon Williams uh, coming in there late uh, changed that a little bit as well. So uh, we'll get into this here. Uh, Jay, I guess what when you first see this list of guys who have signed, kind of who jumps off the page, kind of who who do you like, who have you followed? Yeah, as far as uh, the letter of intent guys, I think Blake Ivy is the pretty clear uh, star of this class so far. Obviously, there's some guys who are committed uh, who who may end up uh, signing, who may end up uh, signing elsewhere, right? Like. Uh, you know, as far as commits, you have Terry Bussey and, and Dominic McKinley, who are both five-star guys who haven't signed yet. Uh, Dalen Evans is a four-star. Uh, those are guys that we're going to have to monitor and, and may end up somewhere else by the time we finish recording this. Uh, so that's going to be something to keep an eye on. But as far as guys that are in in hand at the moment, Blake Ivey feels like the true star. Uh, uh, you know, a guy that I've liked a lot on film is is Jordan Lockhart, the linebacker out of out St. John Bosco in California. I think he's a guy that's flown a little bit under the radar in this class. Uh, three star, but I mean, he's a extremely talented guy at a position of need. I think, uh, obviously they're going to be replacing Etrin Cooper. Uh, you know, text the state of Texas, I feel like doesn't, uh, produce as many linebackers as, as it used to. Uh, so getting a out of state guy, uh, feels like a, a big win for, for this coaching staff. And I think Jordan Lockhart's going to be a good player. Yeah, kind of late additions here to the class before we started recording, minutes before we started recording. Solomon Williams and Isaiah Williams, uh, both out of the same high school there in Tampa. Uh, Solomon, the more highly recruited guy, four-star edge prospect there, um, around 150th in the nation. Isaiah Williams uh, in the 300 range, a three-star wide receiver, six foot 172. So Mike Elko starting to add some bodies. Um, I I think there's a couple of gems in that recruiting class um, just from the high school um ranking standpoint uh the, from what i watch um miles davis the safety from converse judson uh, is a really good player judson while not the same judson's program as it was 10 years ago in terms of winning you know or at least competing for state titles um, they always produce secondary guys uh that that area Cibolo, converse judson area right there always pro- pro- produces a lot of secondary guys uh he's a good good player um so we'll see uh, ashton funk the offensive tackle from Tompkins uh, is a really good player. He's long, 6'7", 300 pounds already. Needs to get a little bit stronger in the upper body. But I think every offensive lineman at that age kind of looks like a deer, you know, who's still trying to figure out how to how to balance out the strength there and stuff like that. So when you're going to have a coaching change, there's always going to be a little bit of drop-off on that immediate recruiting cycle. That's just going to be part of what it is, right? 
how do you kind of go about keeping together as much of this class as possible? And how much do you think, uh, Michael, how much do you think Elko and AM has a chance with some of these guys who remain committed but didn't sign today? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Evans uh, is a guy that AM still feels pretty confident in. Uh, you know, with McKinley, it's going to be tough just because he's uh, just a very special player. Uh, Bussy, I think, is the same way where. I mean, if you watched the Texas High School State Championships and, and saw what uh, Terry Bussey can do, it, it's a uh, it's a very uh, impressive uh, highlight set there. <laughs> uh, no matter where you put him on the field, uh, but I mean, you got to focus on the controllables here. I also think uh, Mike Elko already has done a great job of getting in the portal and uh, getting some talent there uh, at some positions of need. Obviously, you go get Will Lee out of out of Kansas State. Uh, you get Garrett Miller at tight end from Purdue. You get uh, Trey Jones out of Central Michigan uh, at safety. So there, there's been some, you know, uh, good portal work that I think can help. Uh, where you may lose some of these high school recruits that have, have built relationships with the coaching staff that recruited them previously. Uh, and I just think you got to focus on what you can control, right? Like. Again, these are high school kids making a decision that's going to impact the rest of their life. There's a lot of pressure on them. There's NIL going around. There's, uh, like you mentioned, changing coaching staffs. Uh, you don't know who's going to be where on what day. Like it's it's a lot to to process. So you just kind of make the most of the situation you you've been given. And uh, I do think that the level of talent in the portal nowadays does help soften the blow of of a new coaching staff coming in and losing some of those highly rated recruits. Uh, obviously, you'd love to have a, a top signing class, but you know, and and when you go through a transition period, you're just not going to. It's just not likely to happen. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, the the transfer portal allows to where it's not a punt on the first year. You can look at the roster. You can get some band aid fixes with some grad transfers, even some guys with maybe two three years of eligibility. If you're familiar with them at your previous stop from either being on your team or recruiting them uh, while you were there, and so. Uh, I don't think coaches get as much rope as they used to. You know, it used to be like, hey, year three, we'll really start judging you. Now it's it's honestly year two for a place like AM who just paid $77 million for a coach to go away and everything that's happened in 2024. It may just be year one. And so you got to hit the ground running. You got to go sign some guys. You got to get this figured out. Um, we'll talk a little bit more uh, about the portal and some of the guys that are leaving a little bit later. Uh, but if you're Elko, if you're this new coaching staff, how do you kind of walk in? and convince these guys to stay. I mean, you were a former player. I know you didn't go through like a head coaching change in that way. Uh, but like, what do you need to hear as a player? What are some of those things that you want from a staff to kind of talk to you about during a transition time? Yeah. I mean, some guys it's going to be, you know, letting them know that they still have a place, right? Like there's going to be some kids who don't know where they stand with a new coaching staff. So the first thing you want to hear is, is a coaching staff come in and make you feel welcome. Uh, and obviously there's probably going to be some guys that get the opposite, right? Like where, you know, maybe the coaching staff wants to move on to them, move on from them. Uh, obviously, like we talked about the Colorado a little bit with uh, the approach of, of some of that stuff. Uh, but I think holding, like keeping these guys in, in, in uh tact is just selling them on what A&M has to offer. Uh, right. Like uh, obviously when I made my decision to commit to A&M, uh, it was beyond just the football field. And I think that's part of what you have to sell on. Like, 
I realize things are a little bit different nowadays with NIL and, and whatnot, uh, but I still think you have to recruit uh, using the university and, and uh, the Aggie Network and all of those things as a bonus for these guys. Uh, and then on the flip side of it, I mean, just sell, sell your pedigree. Like if you're Mike Elko, you've been a successful defense coordinator everywhere you've been. Uh, you know, let people know that. And then you have guys coming in, whoever you have on staff. Uh, you have Colin Klein, right, as offensive coordinator, who was a Heisman finalist. Uh, recruit using that. I mean, Sean Spencer on the defensive line has has put some great guys into the NFL, uh, like a Mike Parsons. Recruit using that. Uh, there's all kinds. Of, I mean, you have to tailor it to to what a guy wants to hear. And there's so many different approaches to recruiting, but uh, you you just gotta kind of find out what a kid wants to hear. Like that's part of the uh, the coaching. Like you, at the end of the day, you have to tell a kid what they want to hear. Uh, so I think that's a big part of, of of what would be keeping this group together. Yeah, just looking at it here, they have eleven signees. Uh, every position is accounted for except for running back. Like it, it's a pretty spread out group uh, amongst the signees. A- again, there could be some more. Uh, I would imagine there is some more, even if they're not names that are currently on the commit list. They, they're going to go f- sign five to ten more guys by February. I'd imagine. Uh, either through the high school ranks or maybe the portal, maybe even more, depending on how many guys jump in the portal and who comes out. Uh, but they got a quarterback signed and Miles O'Neill uh, from New Jersey, three-star guy, 6'5", um, 220. Even a tight end in there, and Eric Carner, uh, 6'5", 220, uh, from Illinois. Uh, Jordan Lockhart, linebacker uh, from California. So spread out, Jordan Price, uh, Pride, uh, uh, safety from Florida. So a spread out class with uh, with a lot of different faces. But right now, that's to be understood, right? You're just cobbling it together, trying to do it as good as you can. You're building the plane while you're flying it, uh, as they say, right? And so um, I I don't know what is deemed. I guess when I I try to look at stuff between like pass fail, like when I when I'm thinking of these things, right? Like what what is success? What is failure? And then depending on what we uh, mark as those two indicators, we can move forward with the conversation. But with the changing of the way signing period is done, the way the portal is, with the head coaching changes happening sooner and sooner, I'm not sure anymore what is success and what is failure. It's all retroactive, right? Like We're going to look at the record next year and then go, oh, that was success, that was failure. Do you think what they're doing right now is what you expected, or did you expect more? Did you expect less? Like, where are you at with the transition process right now? Or are yeah, you just I mean, as confused as I am? Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm honestly just as kind of in the dark as anybody, right? Because I think you have to be in the program to know what the approach is, uh, and then you don't know if it's going to be successful or not until down the road. Uh, I mean, that's always kind of what recruiting is, right? Like, you don't know how these kids are going to turn out. Uh, you know, to, to put it in perspective, you have a guy like uh, Anaya Smith who wasn't highly rated as a prospect obviously people who saw him play knew what he was capable of uh, but then he comes in and, and it ends up being one of the uh best players of the Jimbo Fisher era right like but hindsight is 2020 you don't know how guys are going to develop you don't know what they're going to be like once they get on campus uh so it, it's really guesswork at the end of the day uh and I mean obviously there are certain attributes that are going to lend themselves towards uh, success in the long run, but I, I just I don't think you can look at what this staff is doing right now, uh, given the situation that they've been placed in, and have a concrete determination of whether or not this is a good plan or not. Uh, again, we're not 
behind the scenes with these guys, we don't know exactly what their thought process was coming in. We don't know exactly uh, who they wanted to get and, and, you know, who they felt confident with. So it's hard to really judge the approach. Uh, Obviously you'd love to get all the top rated kids, but I mean, we've seen how having the number one recruiting class may not mean all that much. Right. Uh, It's, it's just a whole lot of, wait and see i think at the end of the day we are going to be joined uh here shortly uh well it's a pre-taped interview so i don't have to like tease it that way i got my radio mind on there we're going to be joined by greg powers uh uh recruiting analyst for dave campbell's texas football uh to talk about the class talk about a couple of these guys that are from the state of texas and what he thinks uh is the look ahead uh for for the aggies with a couple of those in-state Recruits that are remaining, including Terry Bussey, who both of us saw uh, score six touchdowns in the 2A state championship game. Here with Greg Powers, my buddy from Dave Campbell's Texas Football Powers. Uh, how are you hanging in there on, on early signing period? You know what? It's been a pretty good day. Um, a lot of action going on across the state. There were a lot more question marks, I think, coming into the day. And there's still some top unsigned guys. So, I mean, it's been a more active national signing day than the last couple of years have produced uh but if you're recruiting it like recruiting it like me that's where all the fun is yeah dj lagway stays with his florida commitment uh texas a&m right now you know this is fluid five o'clock on, on national sign day day one wednesday december 20th so by the time you're listening to this it may grow right now a&m with 11 uh signees on the day from the high school ranks three of those guys texas high school football prospects wanted to ask you about blake ivy the offensive tackle uh, from Clear Springs. What are your thoughts on him and his upside? Well, I mean, I think as of right now, he's the top uh, commitment in this class. I really like him because he's a versatile offensive lineman who has experience playing right tackle and left tackle. I like his ability to potentially kick inside and play guard or center at the next level as well. But I think because of his position flexibility, he's a guy who can come in and add immediate depth to any roster. It just so happens to be lucky for Texas A&M that he chose that school to add that depth to uh, really long wingspan. So he's a guy who can get his hands on you from a distance and clear out lanes. And he has uh, easy transition to the second level to secure blocks, whether it be on an inside gap or outside in the flats, whenever you're trying to get a screen pass going or trying to get something going to the outside. Blake Ivy, Blake Ivy's athletic enough to go out there and secure those blocks. So I really like this kit for AM. Yeah, what we've seen so far, even in the portal era, is you're not going to build the offensive line through the portal. At least not all five positions. You're going to have to do that the old school way through high school. Texas A&M and Mike Elko seem to know that three of their 11 signees so far are offensive line uh, players. One of the other ones, Ashton Funk, offensive tackle, uh, Katie Tompkins. That's an area that is no stranger to producing big boys up front that can play football. What are your thoughts on him? Well, I mean, Ashton Funk plays in a very competitive district, and he's a guy who's had a lot of reps underneath his belt against solid Texas high school football competition. I really like him. I have him as a solid four-star. I saw that he was a three-star on some of the other sites. I think he's an easy four-star because he's a guy who you know what you can expect from. Um, Really good in pass protection, but he can clear out run lanes, you know, for running backs, which I really like. You know, Texas A&M has a talented roster of running backs already on campus, and I think that he's a guy who can come in because he's technically sound and he plays underneath control. I think that he's a guy who can contribute potentially early. There are some other guys out there who might need some seasoning before they 
you know, really be able to touch the field in college. Offensive line is one of those positions where it's hard to project immediate or early success. But if I had to hedge my bets on somebody that could make that type of impact, I'd, I'd probably hedge my bets to, to a guy like Funk, who has a high football IQ and really doesn't have any weakness to his game, so to speak. I know he needs to get bigger and stronger, and his foot quickness would be one area that I would like to see him work on as he gets into that strength and conditioning program. Uh, but Funk, I think, is a safe bet. Yeah, a low floor player, right, or a right. high floor, high floor player um, there. So. Uh, yeah, you know they they need as much help as they can get, right? A and M, uh, three straight <laughs> years with their quarterback getting injured. So the fixing the offensive line uh, is job number one for Mike Elko and that new staff. Uh, lastly, in terms of in-state commits, I wanted to ask you about Miles Davis. Or yeah, Miles. Da- I, I second guess myself there with his name. There, I was like, <laughs> no, there's no way that's right. Miles Davis, uh, safety out of Converse Judson. Uh, that area also produces a lot of defensive backs. Kind of how that Katy area produces a lot of offensive linemen. What are your thoughts on Davis? Well, first, he's a, he's a guy who had almost 30 scholarship offers on the recruiting trail, so many people wanted to secure his commitment. Um, I like him as probably – I mean, he's a safety. I'd rank him as a safety. But I like his potential as a guy who can be a modern-era linebacker, you know, more of a safety linebacker hybrid, someone who's going to spend a lot of time in the box. He's a very physical player. He's a good tackler. He has good range and coverage, and he can can patrol sideline to sideline, whether it's against the run or trying to, you know, uh, sniff out a pass out there, you know, outside the hashes. I really think that he's a guy who can do that, and he shows some athleticism and stuff whenever he's on the Judson team, like returning kicks or punts. So he's got a really good – uh, profile, so to speak, and, and he's a guy who I think can grow into being a really special player in the defense. I would like to see him bulk up and, and move inside probably at the next level. That's where I think I would project him at the most, and I think he's one of those guys like, you know, it's been more commonplace over the last couple of years where you're starting to have more of these types of guys, but three years ago, I had college coaches across the country hit me up trying to tell me, Hey, Greg, do you have a safety who we can bulk up and, and make a linebacker? Well, this guy is the definition of that. If I were to like, if I were to tell Alabama it was coming to Texas, this is the type of guy you can bulk up and make a linebacker. It'd be Miles Davis. And then lastly, before you let you out of here, you know, a lot of, or at least a couple of the big time commitments for AM uh, didn't sign. They're going to wait till February, see what's going on. Kind of what are your thoughts on, you know, a Terry Bussey, a Dalen Evans? Uh, even a Ty Anthony Smith that's going to commit uh, on Wednesday night after we record this and kind of what a first year head coach like Mel- Mike Elko can do to keep those guys or if that's kind of they're going to look elsewhere most likely. Well, I think by the time the fans are listening to this, Ty Anthony Smith will already be done. He's going to be making his commitment. It's National Signing Day right now around 5.15 p.m. I think he'll be done by 6.30 p.m. tonight. I'm not sure when you're publishing this, but I, I predict that Ty Anthony Smith will be all the way signed and ready to go by the time you're listening to this. Um, I think it's going to be a hard battle. I'm kind of thinking that he's going to flip to Texas, but I think that big fish is probably Terry Bussey. He's a number five player in the DCTF rankings. He's a, he's a bona fide five-star. He scored six touchdowns in the state championship game. And here's something that I think is encouraging for Texas A&M fans who might be listening to this is that he is a uh, really thoughtful person. When he made his decision to go to Texas A&M, it was a well-researched decision. He wasn't a kid who rushed in to just picking a school because he had circled a date on the calendar where he wanted to commit. 
uh, or when he wanted to commit. He's a guy who really took his time, visited all the schools that he wanted to see. And then there was a multitude of reasons behind his Texas A&M selection. So he didn't just say, oh, well, that's I like the defensive backs coach or, um, you know, it's close to home. It was like something that was like well put together and well thought out. So I think that's a feather in Texas A&M's cap right now because I think he likes the university and the fit for him personally more than just like the glamour or glitz of a, a potential school like in Alabama. If I had to pick a second school on that list, though, I would pick LSU. And I think it came down to Texas Texas A&M and LSU that first time around. So that's something to monitor closely. But I do think he'll do his due diligence. He'll research it out wisely. And he'll come to a decision that he thinks is best for his future. And I think that right now, if I had to, like, predict, I'd go over 50% for Texas A&M. But LSU would be right behind it. All right, sir. Greg Powers, Dave Campbell's Texas football. Appreciate the time. Hope you're able to to get a nap in, full night of sleep tonight. I'm going to get a full night's rest tonight, no doubt about it, Mike. Thanks for having me. Greg Powers coming on, talking to us a little bit about the in-state guys that signed with the Aggies, like like Blake Ivey, like Miles Davis, and and a couple others, and some outlook there on what's going to happen with a few of the in-state big targets left um, going. One of those. Is going to happen tonight. By the time a lot of people are listening to this, we're going to have an answer uh, to where Ty Anthony Smith, the linebacker from Jasper, uh, the top-ranked inside linebacker in the state of Texas, according to Greg Powers, if he's going to go A&M, if he's going to go Texas. It's feeling the Longhorns. That's what all the crystal balls have been. Again, that's probably uh, not news or anything pending by the time you're listening to this podcast, but another one uh, there to watch as well. Uh, Jay, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the portal, specifically the news that Evan Stewart got into it. What what were your thoughts there? Were you surprised at the timing? Uh, what are, what are your thoughts? What are you what are you uh, thinking there? I think the only surprise is that it took this long. <laughs> right. uh, if, I, if I'm being honest, I mean, it felt like when Evan Stewart didn't travel with the team to Baton Rouge that this was kind of set in stone, right? Uh, like it, it always felt like he was a portal candidate uh, when Jimbo Fisher was fired, and then uh, the decision to not travel to the team with the team to Baton Rouge felt like a sure sign that he was entering the portal again. Uh, just mostly a little bit surprising that it took this long. Uh, obviously, anytime you lose a player of that caliber, it, it's a loss. Uh, it's a, it's a big loss, but. You know, I, I think that's part of why AM has been so active with seeking receivers uh, in the portal. Uh, two of the guys that they have uh, committed, and, and Cyrus Allen from Louisiana Tech and, and uh, Javon Harvey from Old Dominion are receivers. Uh, obviously, you want to hold on to a guy like Moose Muhammad, who seemed to play pretty well at the end of the season. Uh, Noah Thomas, Jaday Walker, those guys. Uh, but it, it's it's a loss. But I think if there's one position uh, on the field that is somewhat uh, expendable as far as elite talent, I feel like there's a lot of elite talent at the wide receiver position. Uh, you know, yeah, you can a, get you can get into the portal and get wide receivers and secondary guys. Exactly, and uh, obviously, and we don't know what this offense is going to look like under Colin Klein as well. So there's some uncertainty there. Uh, obviously, we'll see where Evan Stewart ends up. Uh, I think there's some smoke that it's going to be Bama, uh, which it always hurts to lose a, a talented player uh, in conference. But yeah. for, on the bright side for AM fans, Bama's not on schedule in 2024. So uh, you, you at least have that to look forward to. Well, SEC championship game, maybe. <laughs>
we'll see. Uh, I don't want to look that far ahead. I mean, obviously there's talent on the AM roster, so that's not out of the question, but uh, definitely, definitely a lot of football between now and then uh, to determine that. I mean, if you think AM is capable of winning nine or 10 games in the next year, Evan Stewart being there or not being there is not going to dictate that, right? Like to your point, like they're not the wide receiver room is going to be talented enough to win football games. It's going to be everything else. Is the offensive line any good? Can they get the running game going? What does the offense look like under Connor Wegman? Uh, defense, they, they've lost so much in the front seven with Edrin Cooper going to the NFL and then all the portal stuff up front when they lost Elijah Robinson to Syracuse. And so uh, to me, wide receiver is the least of my concerns, right? Uh, but Perception-wise, it's never good when your quote-unquote best player, most talented players jump into the portal, portal, the Walter Nolan, the Evan Stewarts of the world. Again, it felt like one of the reasons Mike Elko was hired was to keep a lot of this group together and go win in 2024. I know we touched on it last week a little bit, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Like That's just not the way... Either this current roster is set up. This may not even be an A and M thing. This may just be kind of the new era of college football, where there's not much loyalty to anybody, to the to the coach, to a university. The loyalty, and maybe as it should be, right? Because this is how it is for the coaches. The loyalty yeah. is to your pocketbook and to your future and where you can be ready to go to the NFL draft. I don't think anybody that takes off their maroon glasses could tell you that Evan Stewart couldn't go get more ready for the NFL at Alabama than he could during a transitional year for Texas A&M. And so you're the Aggies fan. I just think you have to take your medicine a little bit. Know this year is going to be a transition and then get to 2025. I just also know that type of reasonability is not going to happen within the fan base. Like that's just not going to happen, but that is going to be the way you enjoy your experience the most, right? Like as an individual, I know the whole group can't do this, but to the individuals listening to this podcast, if you can wrap your head around 2024 being a transitional year, with the possibility of just beating Texas, right? Go six and six and beat Texas in Kyle Field. That's a successful year. Worry about the 10 and two stuff in the college football playoff later. I think the next year needs to be looked at with some perspective that I know fans, not even just saying it, fans across it, like this is not what we have as fans, right? But I do think your experience will be better if you can come to grips with, we're not going to the championship next year. Everything we're doing now is for two years later because you don't want to sacrifice your long-term future to go eight and four next year, right? Like you'd rather go five and seven next year. If that means you're setting yourself up to be a playoff team in two or three years, then win seven or eight games next year and still be in this position again, the year after, and then the year after, and then the year after, right? Like build the base, build the foundation, whatever that is, and not do it just for next season. Yeah. And also, uh, the portal is, it works both ways, right? Like uh, Chase Pisantis announced that uh, he's taking his name out of the portal. So he'll be yeah. back at AM. Obviously, a very talented player uh, on the offensive line. That, so that's good news for AM from the portal. Uh, it, it's just, man, I, again, you, you talked about it. You're not going to get reasonable responses from fans, right? The root words fanatic for a reason. Uh, it, it's, I wish I could just grab people and and convince them to to take it a little bit easy, right? Like to to not let the decisions of of teenagers and and early twenties get kids dictate how they feel on on a given day, right? Like it, it's there's a lot more things out there to worry about, but at the same time, I mean, if people weren't concerned with 
what these kids do, then we wouldn't be having a podcast right now. Uh, it's just. And I'm man, not like, I'm not trying to be high horsey about this because last night I was watching UTSA in the bowl game. And after the first quarter, I was ready to text everybody at UTSA to say we needed to transfer a quarterback. And then Luke McCown played really well and he'll probably be the starter next year. Right. So like we all do this. I'm not trying yeah. to bag on anybody. It's just I know how much 2024 means. To, to everybody in College Station and everybody in Austin and a lot of other places too. But it's just not, it's not going to come together right away. I mean, it could. <laughs> I guess it could. I, you, can't it's not likely. Me, you can't convince me that this amount of talent walks out the door and it gets better in year one. Right. And I agree wholeheartedly with that. But, uh, you know, on, on the flip side of it, there's still a lot of talent that's there, right? Like if, if Connor Wegman is under center and the offensive line performs better, that right there yeah. does a world of difference. If you're better uh, coached and more organized and people in the locker room like coming to teams. work, right? Special yeah. teams, uh, going for it on fourth and one, uh, calling timeouts when you're supposed to, all of those things uh, could translate to more success. Uh, but again, I just, I hope Elko gets the time. I know I'm hoping against hope here. I just hope yeah. Elko gets the time to do it the right way and isn't hurried into doing it in a rushed way. And we've all done projects before. If you're able to kind of strip it to its bones and start from scratch and really do it the right way, that's going to be more lasting and better than it is if you just try to duct tape the S out of that thing. And then you're just duct taping <laughs> it again and duct taping it again and duct taping it again. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's your, it's your saying, right? The uh, perfect is the enemy of good. Uh, yes. So, so have some time to, to be good and then you can build from there. Uh, but it's man, again, like maybe, maybe it's just naivety, uh, on my own part. I still think that this team could be good, uh, with a couple of bounces the right way. But I I do agree that the other end of the spectrum is, is just as likely, uh, you, you weigh everything out and you say, you know, you're, you're losing a lot of talent, uh, to the draft and and to uh into the transfer portal and and it seems likely to take a step back uh i think one of the other things i look at when trying to manage expectations for next year is the schedule as well uh you know you don't have alabama or georgia on the schedule Mm -hmm. so that's something uh lsu is obviously going to be very tough texas is going to be i mean it's a playoff team uh you open the season with a very tough game in notre dame uh, so there's some things to look at. I, I two bye weeks, you know, like that's going to be a little bit different. Interesting to see how that impacts the season. Uh, but I think they're, I don't know, maybe I'm just like convincing myself that there is hope. Uh, doing, the I think there's hope, by the way. I, I don't think they're going <laughs> four and eight or anything. I just don't think anybody should throw their TV on the ground if AM goes seven and five or six and six, as long as signs are there that it's turning a corner and that you're liking what you're seeing. I mean, all, six and six isn't the same all the time, right? right? Like yeah. there's a bad six and six and there's a you good. You can't look six. at the record in a vacuum. Right. Uh, by the way, I, we have like a long time to get into the schedule game and what we think the records are going to be and, and all that kind of stuff. But shout out to Texas A&M season ticket holders and to media folks like me who are going to spend a lot of time in Kyle Field next year. You get Notre Dame, LSU, and Texas at home, I believe, right? Like that is... Yep. A uh, pretty awesome uh, home schedule. Kyle Field is going to be rocking and rolling there. Um, since we recorded last, AM added Garrett Miller, tight end from Purdue, a, a good player, uh, three star, 0.88 out of the transfer portal, 24 7 ranking. And Trey Jones, 
uh, safety from Central Michigan as well. So uh, two plug-and-play players, probably not just immediately starters, right, but they're going to give you snaps. They've played college football. They have experience. They're older guys. Um, and like, like you said, the portal allows you to supplement some of those losses that you made. A lot of those five-star and four-star guys aren't going to play, weren't going to like really make immediate impacts for you next year anyway. Right. And yeah. so um, you you get some guys that can come in and play right away. If they're not on your books for very long, that opens up spots in one year for your next signing class. And AM's not going to go, they're not going to be 19th next year. Right. Like even if, even if Elko and, and those guys don't recruit in the way that Jimbo did, they're not going to be, they're going to be top 10, top, you know, like that's just how it is at AM right now. And so um, future is bright. But again, I, I just, I guess just be calm. Be, keep a perspective. This is a coaching change. This is how it works. We've been here before. Everybody's gone through a coaching change before. It's not all rosy. It's not going to be all fun. Uh, but hopefully you come back on the other side uh, pretty well. So let's move to fourth down real quick before we get out of here. I wanted to ask you, Jay Arnold. I saw you uh, posting, waxing uh, poetically there about your past as a, as a signee and kind of your tips uh, for what you what you would tell um, guys that that you know achieved a dream today. And sign their uh, national letters of intent and going to go play college football. When you think about when you go back and you think about that day. By the way, you're a lot skinnier. Uh, you're you're a little thinner, <laughs> a little thinner back then. I I had to do a double take. I was like, damn, Jay, like you're a, a little, little a little small. less barbecue. Yeah, for sure. Less, less barbecue, less couch, all that kind of stuff. Um, what were your favorite memories of that day? What do you kind of still kind of think about, talk about when this day kind of rolls around? Yeah, I mean, it was just the culmination of a lot of work. I felt like, I mean uh because you, you grind like it, high school athletics is not as much of a grind as college uh not even close uh just a warning to all of the kids <laughs> out there but you do still put in a lot of time a lot of sweat to, to try to impress uh college coaches and for me like growing up watching college football in the state of texas uh it was just so awesome for me to to put pen to paper and and you know i i feel like it was just a reward uh for for all the time that i had spent in the weight room and and you know summer workouts when you're sweating and and uh pushing yourself to the limit and in, in, in the weight room it's just man it feels great to to look back on all of the things that you accomplished and and say that it got you to this point and obviously you go right back to work uh <laughs> you know theoretically the next day but uh, it, it is nice to have a moment to just kind of soak it, soak it in, and 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 realize that you've earned an opportunity uh, to to play football the next level and and to get your education paid paid for. Yeah, my little brother went and played at Southeastern Louisiana, and I just remember being happy for my parents. You know, <laughs> as much as Hunter, I, I know things that have, have changed there, but yeah, I mean, just any any time you can get somebody else to pay for your college uh, in today's world, that that's a big win, and then. On top of that, you get to keep uh, pursuing your dream. I do think that culture shock of year one um, is pretty large. What what would you tell guys um, to do in between now and when you step on campus to kind of bridge that gap a little? Because you're obviously not going to be prepared. It's gonna yeah. you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get thrown to the wolves there. But what can you do to make that transition as smooth as possible? Yeah, one of the things I talked about with guys is is reaching out to the strength and conditioning staff. Uh, and, and finding out what their workout plan looks like. Uh, again, you're not going to be able to replicate exactly what a weight room feels like with your teammates. And, and you know, the energy is just not going to be the same. 
when you're working out by yourself or with just a couple of guys. Uh, but you can at least get an idea of what the workout is and, and uh, every little bit of preparation helps. Uh, you know, I, I don't know when you can get access to the playbook, but the earliest point you can get access to the playbook, get it, learn the terminology, uh, because that's an adjustment period in itself, right? Uh, you may be running the same defense, uh, the exact same defense in, in high school, but you may have completely different terminology. That's something you're going to have to learn. Uh, the signals, obviously, are going to be something uh, that you're going to have to learn. Uh, and another thing that I, I talk about with guys is knowing that you're the man on your high school campus. You are the one of the top athletes if you're uh, playing high school football and getting recruited to play D1 football. Your college team is going to be full of those guys and some guys that have been at it longer. It's going to be an ego check. You're going to have to like remind yourself that, hey, I came here to play this level for a reason, uh, but so did all these other guys. You know, Take a step back, and it, it's a balance, right? Because you want to stay confident, uh, but you also have to kind of humble yourself and realize I'm going to have to start back at square one and earn this opportunity. Uh, so that's my thing is, is, you know, remain confident in your abilities because you did get recruited at this level for a reason, but be ready to get back to work and realize that you have to prove yourself again. That sounds a lot like uh, being a first time coach, you know, first yeah. year coach, you know, like you're going to, you're going to have um, some ups and downs. Like you have to remind yourself that you're going to be humbled a, a little bit, but yeah, I can't imagine what that first day is uh, of stepping on campus. I'd imagine it's kind of the opposite of what signing day is, right? Like <laughs> signing day is like, oh, this is going to be fun. Everybody's loving me. The coaches are so nice to me. They're texting me like, let's go. And like all, you know, like you're going to be the next great thing. Everybody on your campus is there celebrating you. Your parents are celebrating you. And then like, it's like, you know, the the prison door slam behind you when you walk in and the coaches are like screaming at you for the first time, you know, and cussing you and all this kind of stuff. Like I can't, that's <laughs> got to be a, a wild, the de-recruiting process is what coaches yeah. talk about a lot. Yeah. And, and some of that is, is eased like, cause really you have a little bit of grace and adjustment, uh, with, with just going through workouts. Uh, but the first time you step out on the practice field is, where that becomes super evident that de-recruiting process uh because i think with you know the weight room and, and learning the plays uh over the summer i mean obviously it's different for the guys that come in in spring and, and have that early adjustment period but you kind of get a bit of cushion uh obviously you're gonna have to get used to waking up early and and, and learning uh the playbook i mean I say waking up early. You, you probably had morning workouts in high school, so it's not that mm -hmm. big of an adjustment. Uh, but you're going to have to, again, it, it's, you, you get on there and, and in college, you have to learn a different way of studying, right? Like it's not the same as high school classes. The way I try to describe it is college football is the same way. Like you have to take a completely different approach to studying and learning the game and approaching your responsibilities and the, and the knowledge that you'll have to take in. Uh, and, and that's the adjustment period there. Uh, and then you step on the field for the first time in, in two days and all of a sudden uh, everything's moving at a hundred miles an hour. And that's when you really realize that, wow, uh, I have a lot of adjustment to do. Uh, really the biggest thing I think is when you first step on campus is being on your own, 
Uh, it's, mm-hmm. For a lot of these guys, it's it's their first time away uh, from from their parents uh, or whatever their living situation was. Uh, so th- that's a huge adjustment. Uh, and again, getting to workouts and everything is is a big deal. But I really didn't feel like the de-recruiting process really took hold uh, until uh, you got out there on the practice field and, and really started breaking down film of practice and, and everything. And uh, then then you find out like, oh, shit, uh, I, I have to adjust. <laughs> yeah, a little bit different. Definitely. Definitely. And it, it's, I mean, it's still, I like, I, again, I describe fall camp as the most fun you never want to have again, because you bond so much with those guys. Uh, but it is a brutal beating. Uh, you know, it's, it's waking up early and, and leaving late and, and everything from uh, ice baths to, to, you know, checking weight to uh monitoring classes during it like there's so much that you have to go through uh whereas like summer also tends to be a lighter class load that's that's something i forgot to mention uh your your summer class load is going to be super simple because they want to ease you in uh to the student athlete schedule uh when you get to to the season that's another adjustment right you're going to have a full class load you have to take 12 hours uh so that is again it's a different pace and and I think the pace of everything and and what you have to put up with is just uh, a a shock for a lot of people. As we're uh, doing this, Mike Elko is holding his press conference. He kind of just talked about um, that this class is going to be short numbered. He didn't want to, I think the quote was didn't want to add guys just for the sake of adding guys. And it's going to be more portal heavy obviously this year than moving forward. And so I think that's smart, right? You don't want to handicap your roster in year one just to sign guys to be like, we got the 12th best recruiting class. Those two guys not be fit. So you have the roster turnover over and over again. So I like the way Elko is approaching this stuff. Um, It'll be interesting to see how these guys kind of transition. And I think what you talked about uh, goes to something I always have, have thought about with college football. We forget that these are human beings that have a bunch of variables to come in and and different things to overcome and how hard school is for some may not be hard for others. The social environment of it may be hard for some and not for others, depending on, you know, where you come from, how big your school was, how big your town, which is so many things, right. Go into that transition process that it's understandable why guys don't hit the ground running all of the time. And some guys are ready made to hit the ground running and maybe they just don't have the ceiling um, that other guys do. And so, um, for coaches and for fans, I think that's hard sometimes, especially with the portal, because if you're not playing right away, then you're going to leave, but you may not be ready to play right away. And so how do you kind of do that with coaches? And so, um, we'll see how this staff, how this class goes along, but I will say typically this transition class is one that's a wash. There's not going to be a ton of impact players here, most likely, right? Like I was just doing a deep dive on the Texas roster that just made the college football playoff. I think there's three guys from the transition class for Sark that are really playing football uh, for the Longhorns out of the 16, 17 um, that they signed. And so um, we're going to talk about a lot about these names. You're going to read a lot about these names. And I just think a lot of them are going to wash out probably over time. Just statistically, that tends to be how this goes. If you're Aggies, I think you're more focused, focused on the transfer portal and trying to finish out with maybe three or four of these commitments that can come in and make real impacts um, like a Terry Bussey, um, like a Dalen Evans, you know, those kind of guys. And so um, 
Anyway, kind of, yeah, kind of an, a weird early signing period, you know, for the Aggies, obviously, with the, with the transition. They don't even have a defensive coordinator, right? I mean, there's still just so much up in the air uh, for Texas A&M that this isn't just a final day like it is for some colleges where it's like, okay, we signed our 23 guys and now we're moving on to bowl practices or whatever it is next. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different for A&M. This thing is going to be fluid. By the time you've heard this, there's probably more than 11 uh, letters of intent signed there. There may be more portal guys, and so – uh, we will keep you updated at texasfootball.com and on this podcast. Uh, our thanks to Greg Powers for coming on and giving us an interview. Uh, for Jay Arnold, from Mike Craven and Dave Campbell's Texas Football, we will talk to you next time. <laughs>